We're going to be in uh, talking about parenting today. We're going to be in a passage, uh, mainly in a passage uh, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, I invite you just to turn there, and we are going to go through this really, really great passage and look at a few other passages as well that are relevant for uh, this topic. So welcome. (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about uh, my family. I have two kids, uh, my son Ben is uh, a middle schooler now. He's a grade seven, so he's 12 years old. And uh, my daughter, Lucy, she's also a middle schooler. She's grade six, and she's 11 years old. And so I am the proud parent of middle schoolers, you guys. I don't know how this happened, but uh, I guess they just grow up, right? Um, I remember the the day my son was born, um, I guess 12 years ago. you know, it was just such a whirlwind, right? It's your first child, and, uh, you know, Jess's water broke, and we rushed to the hospital, and, uh, you know, the nurse is like, ah, oh, you're not ready yet. So we go home, you know, and then uh, she tries to sleep through the night. That does not work very well when you're <laughs> in labor. And so we got through the night, went back to the hospital. You know, we're there all day long, well into the wee hours of the evening. She finally had been through much, you know, difficulty, and, uh, and then, you know, it's just a whirlwind. You know, our, our son had to go into the incubator, um, and uh, he had to get taken care of a little bit, and then he was with us. But the nurses were there, you know, the whole time, right? They were there for all that stuff. They were there when uh, he had his first bath. They were there kind of all the way along. We got some sleep the next night. It was sweet. And then, and then you put your child into the, uh, the car seat, okay? And I didn't realize this at the time, but... That's, I guess, the signal for nurses that they're done. They're done taking care of you. So you put your child in the car seat, and they're, they're hands off now. It's like, this is your baby. So they just hand you this baby, and you're like, yeah, I know it's my baby, but I, I don't know what I'm doing, and they just send you home. And you're like, I, I, are you sure? They, you trust <laughs> You trust us to take care of this child? Like, all this stuff was happening. You're taking incubators, all this stuff. And now we're just, we're just going to go take this child home and, okay. And I remember just being terrified on the drive home. Oh, don't get in a car accident. We get home and, you know, we put Ben down and we're like, all right. <laughs> I guess this is what we're doing now. I guess we will never go out in the evenings anymore. And you start to realize, like, how your life is going to change um, what a moment, you know, and so often we're just so unprepared for that. Um, so we want to look at God's word today and uh, help uh, see what does God teach us? What does he uh, give us instructions for in how to raise our kids? Um, I, I must confess, though, as being just a parent of middle schoolers, uh, you know, my kids are only in middle school right now. I do feel a little bit like um, it's analogous to like watching a basketball game. Okay, so I love basketball. One of my favorite sports. I mean, just guys, it's an amazing sport. Okay, it's a it's a it's a holy sport. Okay, uh, in heaven, you guys will all understand. If you don't like basketball now, you will understand one day when you get to heaven. It, it's it's the Lord's game, and uh, so. Uh, I've always been fascinated, though, when you're watching, like, basketball, you're watching any other kind of top-notch sport, you're watching these incredible athletes. You know, they're, like, 80 feet tall, and they're dunking, and they're just doing stuff that no one can do. And then there's the fans. You know, they're sitting there with, like, you know, hot dogs and, you know, nacho cheese, like, all on your shirt. And then what are the fans doing? They're yelling and calling names to these top-notch athletes and saying, you guys stink. 
Just that, think of that picture for a sec. What qualifies them to do that? <laughs> Nothing much. And I kind of feel a little bit like that when I'm trying to teach on parenting. Like, I'm, I'm still on the road here. I feel like I'm the fan sitting in the, in the crowd, and I'm trying to tell a bunch of people here who probably are, have well more experience than I do about this really uh, important thing. So I'm thankful that we can just lean into God's Word. I'm not here to just give you all my opinions today, but we want to look at what God's Word says Uh, about parenting. So without further ado, we're going to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to just start in verse 4 to 9 and mostly focus there today. So verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right, that's God's word. We're just going to pause there. We'll look back at that in a little moment. Um, This passage is... uh, a really, really important passage in uh, Scripture. It's called the Great Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for listen or hear. And uh, this would have been one of the most memorized passages for any Hebrew family, any Hebrew child growing up. You would have memorized this. They, they literally put this Scripture on the doorposts of their house, <laughs> as it says in the text. Uh, in this Scripture is the greatest commandment. Jesus talks about it saying, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so this is an incredibly important uh, passage in the Bible. Um, I remember being in this uh, conference. We were at this uh, children and family conference and uh, was listening to a mentor of mine, and she was giving a a session, and she was talking about Deuteronomy 6. And uh, as she was discussing this, and we were having conversation about how to raise our children and how to pass on faith to them, uh, this lady, I'll never forget, this lady stood up and she was like, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I hear what this passage is saying. She's like, but here's the thing, I've been doing this and my son doesn't want to hear anything I have to say about faith. Um, this, like, I, I don't know if this works. <laughs> I don't know if this works. And, and, you know, you got that sense that you could just hear this lady struggle, like, how is she hearing this passage and what is it actually saying and how is, how is it being applied? I had all these questions about that. So I want to unpack this with you. I want to help you see like what it's saying, what it's not saying. And so I've come up with a little thesis and we're just going to kind of work through this, okay? So, so here we go. Uh, Christian parenting, I think it's going to come up on the screen. Here we go. Christian parenting is about making Jesus known to the next generation as an expression of one's love for God and their kids. Christian parenting involves modeling affectionate authority and teaching and nurturing their kids in the gospel with regularity, authenticity, and wisdom in the context of the community of faith. All right, so there's my thesis. I just want to unpack this with you, and we're going to go through Deuteronomy 6 as we do it. First, uh, Christian parenting is about making Jesus known. Uh, The highest priority uh, for us as parents is not that our kids be successful in their jobs or at sports 
or get to fulfill everything that's on our list for them or on their own bucket list. You know, I hear kids talk about bucket lists today, by the way. It's kind of strange. They're like just starting their life and they're already talking about the end of their life. But the highest priority is not those things. It's, it's that we make Jesus known to our kids. Uh, this is clear in Deuteronomy 6. We see how Paul reiterates this for Christian families in the New Testament as well. There's another passage here I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 6. So Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 6, easy to remember. Uh, here's what Paul says, and he's, he's interacting with Deuteronomy 6 here when he says this. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What he means by that is don't break their spirit. Don't, don't parent in such a way that they're just discouraged. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, bring them up here literally means to nurture them. Nurture them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And when Paul says Lord, he's referring to Jesus. He's referring to Jesus. So bring them up, nurture them in discipline and instruction in Jesus. Uh, when I think about how my parents did this in my life, um, I think about uh, my mom, and one of the ways that she did this was through prayer. Um, I remember just when I was, you know, five, six years old, I have these vivid memories of mom uh, coming in, and she would do the kissing monster routine with me and my brother, right? And we'd be like, oh, hiding under the covers. She would come and do that, and then she would just pause, and she would pray with us. And I can literally, like, in my imagination, go back, and I can hear her voice praying with us, and I can, uh, I can just, I could just sense that there was God. He was right there. I could, I could grab hold of him. I could touch him. There's this big God, and I could talk to him. What an amazing thing! And just the awareness of God's presence grew as I spent time in prayer. Now, um, from the outside looking in, if you were to have seen me as a five or six year old you would not have thought that I was growing in my relationship with Jesus, okay? Um, young Chris was kind of uh, a kid who got frequent concussions, okay? I, uh, I talked back to teachers a lot, got a lot of trouble. I'm pretty sure I killed my cat um, when I was about that same age. Um, that's a long story. But despite all my terribleness, inwardly, the Lord was already grabbing hold of my heart. My mom, could, my mom was investing, and even though they couldn't see the fruit yet, she was there. She was investing. My dad, you know, it was different things. It was like just how he modeled Jesus, how he served other people, how he was just so sacrificial and kind to those that he would serve in his job and, and other things. But my parents, these are some of the ways they modeled and they shared Jesus with me. That was their goal, and they, that was their goal was to pass that on to me. That's the, that's the highest goal. Okay, but that's the goal. Um, but we do it as an expression of our love for God and for our kids. So in the passage here, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's like everything that you have. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So um, just notice here that, that the first command is not to teach your kids. The first command is to love God. It's to love God yourself as a parent. So the first, 
the, the way you parent. We make Jesus known to our kids. That's the goal. But really, our, our highest priority in our lives is still that we have a relationship with God as parents. So that's a question we can ask ourselves as parents, as, as grandparents, is do I love God? Um, am I just busy trying to pass it on to them? But how's my relationship with the Lord doing? It makes me think of uh, uh, Peter in uh, the New Testament when, uh, you know, he had denied Jesus three times. And then um, after Jesus died and rose again, Jesus began to appear to many of his disciples. And there's this one great story at the end of the book of John where uh, Peter sees him. Uh, he, he sees him on the shore. And so Peter jumps off the boat and he goes and he has breakfast with Jesus. And Jesus restores Peter by asking him three times, just like his three denials. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter's response is, yeah, I love you, Jesus. You know I love you. You guys remember what Jesus says? It's like, okay, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. See, it's because Peter loves Jesus that then he goes and does ministry. And that's the same in parenting. It has to be an overflow of our own love for God that we parent our kids. Our kids can't just sense from us that this is just, they're just like a project and we're spending more time thinking about them than we are about our own spiritual discipline. So like as you as a parent, are you focused on how your walk with God is going? Are you practicing time in God's word, time in prayer, time with him? Are you doing that? Uh, Kent and Barbara Hughes uh, said this. They said, our Bibles and common sense tell us it is absurd for Christian parents to read books about how to be better parents if they do not pray themselves. Yet some parents insist their children attend church, Sunday school, youth group, memorize scriptures, attend Christian schools while they have no prayer life on their behalf. Lord, I don't have time to pray. I'm too busy making sure my kids have a Christian upbringing. <laughs> so prayer prayer. And you can pray, you know, obviously it's, it's your relationship with the Lord. And then that moves you into prayer for your kids, which sets your heart in the right position as you parent. Um, you know, as we think of uh, the, the context of this passage in Deuteronomy, what's happened here is Moses is the one giving these words to Israel. And it's a new generation that's grown up. Their parents were pretty unfaithful. This new generation has grown up. And he's like, hey, I want you, as you go into the promised land, pass these words on to your kids. This is a huge moment in the first five books of the Bible. It's the end of the Torah. It's the end of this grand story that Israel has been going through, and they're about to turn the page into another chapter of their history and go into the promised land. And as they do, this is a super important thing for them to do. How are they going to pass this on to another generation? Well, as the story goes on, you know, Joshua, the book, you turn the page to the book of Joshua, and Joshua's a faithful guy. And all the people that serve with him, they're faithful. They're faithful to, to the Lord, and they do many great things. And then as Joshua, at the end of his life, he's like, hey, you know, choose who you're going to serve because I'm going to serve the Lord, and our family's going to serve the Lord. And there's already an indication there that, uh-oh, maybe some of them are, aren't planning on making their families a priority. Or, and, and then as you turn the page into the book of Judges, that's exactly what you read, is this new generation grows up, and they don't know the Lord. And the book of Judges turns into one of the darkest books in the Old Testament because this new generation, is they just don't know. They don't know God. Because that generation, they were faithful to God themselves, but they didn't 
effectively pass on faith to their kids. So we want to ask that question, how can we do that effectively? How can we pass on faith to our kids effectively? Now, I just want to talk about two kinds of of pitfalls, two kinds of parents probably in this room here. Uh, Some of us find ourselves a little bit more on this one side where we're a little bit more the detached kind of parent. I mean, I'm talking about sort of sin patterns here. So our sin pattern might be I'm a little more detached. I'm, uh, I'm not intentional. I don't really have a plan. I'm not really, I'm a little distant from my kids. And that might be a little bit like Israel was. But there's another kind of danger, and it's that we be overzealous, that we're bearing down hard. We have high expectations on our kids. And we can even hear Deuteronomy 6 kind of encouraging us to do this. Be diligent, you know, pound the word down on your kids. I want to help fully explain that we don't want to go that way either. We want to avoid these two extremes. So what? how do we do it? Let's look at the first one. We model affectionate authority. We model affectionate authority. If you look a few verses earlier in verses 1 to 3, this is how Deuteronomy 6 begins. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Moses is speaking here. That you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes, his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey, which by the way means lots of cows and bees. There's a lot in this passage, um, but one of the things we see here is authority. Uh, Multiple generations are called to fear the Lord, to embrace God's rules, his statutes. This way, they will fear the Lord by submitting to his authority. And it also means they're going to uh, give that authority on as grandparents, as parents. They're going to express authority toward their children. But what is the authority for? What we see here, it's for their blessing. It's for their flourishing. God wants his children to have a long life in the land. So God's authority is, it's an affectionate authority. And we want to demonstrate that authority as well as we mimic him. So God passes it to spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership to grandparents and parents, and on to children. A sociologist Christian Smith, he recently did this massive research project of what kinds of, uh, what are the most effective strategies that uh, religion, he calls them religious parents, so he's looking at a wide kind of array of different uh, faith backgrounds. He says, what are the most effective uh, ways that, that people pass on their faith to their kids? He compiled his findings in a new book called Handing Down the Faith, How Parents Pass Their Religion On to the Next Generation. Here's what he says. He says, though the influence of parenting style is known to vary somewhat by race and ethnicity, It is broadly true that the religious parents who most successfully raise religious children tend to exhibit an authoritative parenting style. And he contrasts that with authoritarian, like really bearing down hard, and uh, ones who just kind of let their kids do whatever. So parents combine two crucial traits. First, they consistently hold their children to clear and demanding expectations, standards, boundaries, and all areas of life. Second, They relate to their children with an abundance of warmth, support, and 
expressive care. That means actually saying you love them. (laughs) Expressing your care. It's not hard to see why this parenting style works best for raising religious children. The combination of clear expectations and effective warmth is powerful in children's developmental formation. Uh, Phil and Diane Comer, in their book, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, they echo this sentiment. They say, our kids need to know, right down to the marrow of their bones, that we love them, that we think the world of them, that we're so glad they're ours. Whether they are three or 13 or 33, with all the hope and freedom Jesus brings into our lives, our homes should be bursting with joy. Love that. Um, the other day I picked up my son at youth group and uh, he said to me, Dad, I prayed in youth group today. So it's like a first time. Like, oh, you prayed. That's so great. What, what did you pray about? He says, well, I asked that everybody could stop singing Encanto's new song. Everyone, uh, we don't talk about Bruno. That's <laughs> so like, oh, okay. So that that was your prayer request to your small group leader? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure he was laughing at that. Okay. Um, You know, and I think a few years earlier when I heard that story, I would have been like, I would have been all in corrective mode, you know, just correcting him. No, no, well, that's not the kind of thing we pray for, son. No, we got to pray for this kind of thing. I've learned to just celebrate those moments, to celebrate that my son is praying and to have affection in those moments and to celebrate these uh, family times together. We want to have authority in our kids' lives, but we want to have affectionate and good authority. Now, where does that come from? Uh, Second thing, we teach God's word. We teach them the gospel uh, through God's word, and we do this regularly, authentically, and with wisdom. So let's look at all three of those regularly. Um, Deuteronomy 6 again says, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So the word teach here means to impress or to repeat. So it's a regularity thing. The sense here in the word becomes a regular part of your home. It's not some weird thing you do sporadically, but it's a normal part of your life. And this can be accomplished in lots of ways, uh, lots of different ways. But Moses gives us some wisdom here around, you know, different times of the day, key times in the day that are uh, particularly effective Uh, Here's what Christian Smith says again in his study. He says, right up there with the importance of parents' personal religious faith and the consistency of their religious practice is this variable. How much religion is talked about at home during the week? Children who later in life practice some form of their parents' religion report that religion was a frequent topic of discussion at home during their youth. And those who say religion was seldom or never discussed are much less likely to be very religious later on. Again, don't get hung up on the word religion there, by the way. We would exchange that with relationship with Jesus, right? Not a religion. But this can take many forms, right? Prayers, Bible reading time, faith discussions. But I have found, you know, things like when he says, uh, when you lie down, when you rise. We've, uh, we've found in our family, when they lie down, like at, at bedtime, that is one of the key times that our kids are really receptive to spiritual training and spiritual nurture, to pray, to look at God's word, watch a little Bible app video, whatever. We do different things to keep it interesting for them. And that seems to be an effective thing. Uh, Pastor Matt, last week, he kind of did the same topic in Chilliwack, and he talked about how their family, they find it really great to 
when you walk by the way, it's when they drive the car, right? When they're driving the car and they have faith conversations with their kids and that seems to just be a good time when there's receptivity. So you're looking for those special times that are impacting, but you're regularly talking about it. Secondly, authentically, uh, we teach regularly and that should uh, become an ordinary thing and then, uh, but it shouldn't be a rote and robotic thing. Uh, you know, a ritualistic kind of thing. It should be authentic. We share real emotions. We listen well to the hearts of our kids. What are they really going through? What are their big actual questions? Um, I, when I was a, a young dad and I had my little kids and I was, I, you know, I knew that this was what God wanted me to do. I, I got pretty overzealous and I was like, you know, we're going to do family devotions, right? And then you'd, it would just be a disaster, right? Just an absolute disaster. And we all get angry at each other. You're not listening. Okay, go to your room. And then you're like, oh, well, that was a fail. You know, and then I'd be like, oh, we won't do that for a while. And then, okay, a couple of weeks ago by, you know what? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, we're going to do it again. We're going to do this family devotions thing. Get them all together. Just a disaster again, right? So this isn't a regular pattern for us. And just, just not going anywhere. <laughs> um, and so I struggled, I, I've struggled uh, to do this myself. And I realized it wasn't authentic. It wasn't authentic. Here's again, one more quote from Christian Smith. I'm just giving this to you because it's a big research project he did. I think it's super helpful. He says, the second trait of parents who successfully pass on religious faith and practice to their children is a normal part of family life during the week. They talk with their children about religious things, what they believe and practice, what it means and implies, why it matters to them. So it gets personal. In such families, religion is part of the warp and wolf of everyday life. It comes and goes in talk easily. It's not compartmentalized in certain slots of the week, nor is it an unusual or awkward topic. It is part of who we are and what we care about. This does not mean such families talk about religion all of the time, but it does indicate to children that religion matters or faith matters. It's irrelevant enough to the rest of life that it should arise normally in ordinary discussions of any number of topics. Again, this is a matter of parents and families being authentically who and what they are, not suddenly deciding to sermonize. <laughs> Allah, my error. Uh, sermons are great in church, not super awesome at home. Don't super work great. Discipleship at home is a dialogue. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, Part of, again, the warp and wolf. I love that language. Share stories with your kids about faith in your family. Tell them stories about faith in, you know, maybe your grandparents or how you came to faith. Share authentically with them. May it be an authentic thing. Uh, thirdly, with wisdom. Uh, back in Deuteronomy 6, again, it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, the word diligently in the Greek uh, Old Testament is translated as carefully. And I think that translation gets a better sense of what Moses is getting at here. Because as we read on uh, further in the Bible, if you get to the book of Proverbs, you're going to discover Proverbs is this book of wisdom, and it has a lot in there about parenting. Carefully, with wisdom, that's the intention here. It's not a cold kind of diligence, like this military vibe, you know, where we're drilling it into our kids we're doing it carefully in the wisdom tradition. Uh, and wisdom is a skill. It, it's, uh, it's the art of living skillfully. As parents, we, we would love for someone to just uh, tell us exactly what to do with our kid, right? 
please just give me the answer. Uh, we're, sometimes we're looking for the silver bullet if we're struggling with our kids. But, you know, this is part of parenting is that we have to lean on the Lord for wisdom. And then we have to uh, try to guide our child because I'm a different kind of parent than the next parent and they're a different kind of child than another child and you need wisdom. And wisdom understands there's different seasons and different times and everybody's got a different personality and it adapts to different situations and different changes that arise in your family life. Wisdom reminds us to trust God with what he has clearly told us when we face situations that are less clear. Wisdom understands that we need to teach our kids carefully, knowing some days they don't need to know that God is good. They need to know that he's near. Sometimes they don't need us to say anything. They just need us to listen. Sometimes they just need a hug. Sometimes they just need their mom and not their dad. (laughs) Sometimes they need a friend, not their parents. But it takes trusting God, asking for his wisdom moment by moment as we guide and shepherd our children. I love a description of Jesus's own upbringing in Luke 2.52. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he grew in wisdom. He grew physically. He grew socially. He grew spiritually. These are the areas of our child's life we can look at to help our children develop. We can use it even as an assessment of how are they doing in each of these areas and how can I help be a shepherding hand to help guide them in those areas so they can grow. And how is your home a place that helps them develop in these areas? If we look back at Deuteronomy again, it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, I was, uh, my wife and I went to Europe a number of years ago and we were on a, this really fast train uh, going through France. And uh, as we were, we were heading from Lyon to Paris, and these, uh, these two young uh, Jewish boys came onto the train, and they were wearing uh, these boxes on their heads. And they had their, you know, their, uh, their Jewish little hats, and uh, they had this thing tied around their, their arm as well. And I realized, oh, yeah, this is, this is what a lot of Jewish families uh, throughout the centuries did. They, they applied these verses here very literally. <laughs> they put a little box with this scripture right in between their eyes, the front lip between their eyes. And uh, like I said before, they, they had this, uh, this little uh, box on their, the doorposts of their house where they would put this little scripture in there. And it was to remind them of God's word. But um, really, these words are meant to be taken as literally as that. Uh, They're metaphorical for uh, God's word should shape our mind and our actions and the atmosphere and culture of our home. So a question to ask yourself is, what is the culture of your home like? Is it where kids are trained in wisdom? Is it where the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is part of your home? Is it calm or is it chaotic? Is it one where parents are stressed out all the time? Or is it one where kids can grow healthy and strong? Is it an atmosphere of joy? How does God's word infect the culture of your home and as you're in your parenting? Are you a non-anxious presence in your kids' lives? Or are you just making them more stressed? So we want to help shape their character by being wise. And then lastly... We do this in community. 
We nurture this in community. Uh, one of the overlooked uh, uh, parts of this uh, section in Deuteronomy is it says, Hear, O Israel. <laughs> a lot of times, uh, if you go to like conferences and stuff, they'll talk about how this is only for parents. And, and I agree, it's primarily for parents. But, you know, Israel uh, was, a, was a nation. And Moses is talking to the whole nation. And this is a, it's a community project. They knew nothing really of the nuclear family back then. Their families were huge. They had big extended families, and they were part of this larger community of faith. And so, you guys, this isn't just something like you're not alone in raising your kids. Uh, Another thing Christian Smith talks about is this idea of channeling our kids into things because we can't give them everything that they need. Other people need to come into their lives and help shepherd them. Um, a good example of this, my daughter Lucy, just this last fall again, went out to youth group at our youth. Guys, we have an awesome youth ministry, okay? Shout out to the youth men team. Uh, I sent my daughter, it was like opening uh, night of the fall kickoff uh, kind of thing for youth. And uh, she went out and uh, Pastor John had a guest speaker come in, Ron Friesen. I didn't know Ron was going to be there. Uh, I met Ron 20 years ago. I was a young adult and he came and he spoke God's word into my life in some powerful ways. And I had no idea he was going to be there that night. Anyway, Lucy went. I picked her up. And uh, she came out. And, and, you know, she'd been struggling with, how do I know God's real? And uh, how do I know he's really there? And how do I know he really loves me? And things like that. I pick her up that night. And she says to me, Dad, the message tonight was really great. It's like, oh, well, tell me about it. Yeah, this guy was talking, Pastor Ron. Like, oh, it's it's Ron Friesen. Yeah, and he he just said how much... God loves us. It really hit me. I was like, that's so great. And I was so thankful. I'm like, so thankful for people like Ron. He spoke into my life 20 years earlier, and here he is speaking into my daughter's life. And I'm just like, man, I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for the community of faith around me. I can't do this myself. I need other people around me to help me raise and pass on Jesus to my kids. We're not alone. We're not alone. We get to do this together. It's so great. And lastly, we always come back to the gospel. We always come back to the gospel. Deuteronomy 6, at the very end of the passage, uh, in verse 20, it says this, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. What do you point your kids to? The good news that God rescues us. God has rescued us already. For them back then, it's the great salvation event of Exodus. For us today, it's the cross of Jesus. God has already rescued us through Jesus. And now we honor him. We're thanking him. We're celebrating him not because we have to, but because we get to. We get to do this because God is so, so good. And parents, remember that you need to come back to the gospel time and time again too. Remember, you're going to fail, but the Lord still loves you. (laughs) Even as you fail as a parent, he loves you. He's come to rescue you, and he wants to work through you to bring that wonderful message of reconciliation to your kids' lives. So let's pray together. And uh, we'll be done. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. You love our families, Lord. You love our family more than we do. Help us to remember that today. Lord, thank you for your wisdom that you give us. Lord, thank you for the challenge you give us to uh, be part of our kids' lives, to be, to be a Jesus influence in their lives. God, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for the gift of these wonderful kids in this church community here, Father. Would you bless each one of them? Would you bless their parents today? Father, would you help us to walk with grace and with wisdom as we lead our kids to a knowledge of you? I pray that the end result, Father, would be that we would see many lives come to know you through the shepherding process of raising children. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Pray that you would be blessed in all that we do this week and for the rest of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.